episode 23. We're here with selfishly here with Casim Hansen. And uh, we've been we've been emailing about this this idea of metabolic stress, whatever you want to call all of these other things other than mechanical tension, as as a potential potentiator of muscle hypertrophy. And we should probably start with with specifying that what are the the cost benefit analysis of running kind of these more metabolic type type training blocks. And the the cost, I don't think, is as high as many people think, because your hypertrophy, if if you're after hypertrophy, if you're after strength and power, the cost, if you're after weight on the bar for a specific exercise, the cost is going to be more. But if you're, out, if you're after hypertrophy, which is which is a more general, uh, potentially more lenient type of outcome to get, then I don't think there's much of a cost, if anything. If we look at, uh, we were talking about like the low end of hypertrophy with with Evan, and I know we've talked about it too, Kasim, is like this 20 to 30% of 1RM, like are those sets to failure, are they equivalent to like 80% of 1RM? And the research says no, says maybe, right? Maybe, maybe yes for 30, maybe no for 20, but we were just talking about this 20% paper where they had people leg press with one leg for at 20%, which sounds horrific. Like just having to take your 20% one rep max on a leg press and take that to failure on, on whatever leg it is, left or right. And then, then you would rest. So you do that three times on one leg. And then you go, whatever volume you got, let's say it's your left leg, whatever volume you got on your left leg, you got to take that over and you got to volume equate it on the right leg, which is already confusing to most everybody. Definitely was somewhat confusing to us in the study design. This, this study design is actually not that weird. Um, but then you volume equate it and you go to failure on the 40% or 60% or 80%. And what they found that 20% didn't work as well as 40 to 60, 80, but 40 and 60 and 80 for hypertrophy worked just, worked just as well statistically. Um, but if you look at cycling, so you're like, they were taking that. We can't figure out if the reps were across all sets. My guess is they were across all sets. How many times do you think you could do 20% on a leg press? Like your 20% one round max on a leg press. How many times do you think you could do that? Gasm? Yeah, that, that, that would be ridiculous. And I ran the numbers like with a bunch of variations and there's a possibility that some poor person was doing single leg leg press for like almost seven minutes straight. <laughs> like by those numbers. Awesome. Um, so yeah, I, so by when I did the numbers, I think I think it had to be the total number of reps for all three of the sets because then at the 20 rep group, they were doing like basically sets of 20 with like nine pounds. But if you didn't do it like for all, then it ended up being like this ridiculous number. And I'm like, I don't, I don't. either way, the numbers don't line up with trained subjects at all, I don't think, because this was untrained subjects, and we Re I, recreationally I, trained, yeah, untrained, yeah, well, not resistance trained, yeah. So I pulled my whole team over here, and we all just like put our numbers in, and we're like, yeah, just no matter how we do it, it's just not, it's not making sense to what we would think what we would do. So that that leaves like in the twenty percent, but if you look at the cycling research, if you take actually trained cyclists who probably don't have that cardiac out, like they don't have as many limiters. Those rec those untrained people have a lot of limiters. Number one, like that just seems if you got a leg press for seven minutes, that just seems like a bad cardio machine to me. <laughs> like it doesn't it seems like a bad bad psych bad quad workout. Yeah. 
Well, and it's volitional failure, and there would be so many things that would make me want to stop by the time I got to seven minutes of, you know, boredom would even <laughs> just, just get, just get hungry. Yeah. I, I actually worry about the actual count of the reps. That's, I worry about the guy, <laughs> that, like, I, my confidence in the guy, like, we've all mm-hmm. been that trainer, like, I like I remember, like, programming 15s and 20s, and they'd be like, don't how many, you know, I, don't, I don't know, do you feel like it's enough yet? Uh, <laughs> Two more. Two more, two more, two more. How many are you at? I, I remember guessing when I would oh, train yeah. people. How many are you at? Oh, 13. You sure? Uh, for, for sure. For sure, yep. for sure. Yep. Uh, so, I, I, but the really interesting thing to me, the if you, because we were talking about this too, is is if you, you, ha, you see some cyclists with some pretty massive quads uh, who, aren't, who aren't strength training and the velodrome guys who are doing sprint work and it, it, they showed in master cyclists that it's really hard to figure out what the hell they were doing, but they were training on a velodrome versus resistance training. So they were two days of sprint training on a velodrome versus four days of uh, resistance training in the in the hypertrophy range. And so what they found was they were equal in those individuals for leg mass gains. Um, and, and so that to me is like, wow, well, maybe if we work hard enough, maybe even that type of stimulus could potentially like, which is crazy to me, could potentially lead to hypertrophy. And so that's not really the point of this podcast though, but it really highlights the idea that your cost, if you're, if you're after hypertrophy, your cost of running one of these blocks, like people are like, Oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to melt away. No, you might, you might even gain some muscle, but you're not, you're not going to lose any muscle. So at, at worst, it would be a placeholder and you might potentially lose some weight on your squat or your deadlift. If those or your bench press, if those are things that you care about, um, but so you guys at N1 have a big list. You got you guys run these potentiation blocks pretty frequently with your with your clients, and you have kind of three subsets that you look at mechanistically. Do you want to explain those for us? Yeah. So in terms of metabolic training, we kind of break it up into three different groupings. One being systemic, where we're essentially choosing to try and train a high volume of tissue, meaning we're going to use all big compound movements. And uh, like the typical ones that you would see, you know, you're usually supersetting like a big uh, upper body like movement with a big lower body movement with short, like an incomplete rest interval, you know, for that. And so you accumulate like just total fatigue, but you don't accumulate any local uh, fatigue, right? So that's that's what we would call like a systemic program. And a lot of people use those for like body comp and stuff like that. Um, But there's a I mean, there's a huge cardiovascular like limiter with with that style of training. Um, and then, very and then efficient though. Yeah. Right. Yeah. When you, when you look at like, you know, tonnage over time, hugely efficient. Right. But you also have to consider when you're comparing that to other stuff is like, well, these are just exercises. If I'm using like tonnage as a metric that I just move more weight, like from a leverage perspective, right? Like you can't compare some of these movements to an isolation thing or whatever. Um, and then we have two local ones and essentially what we do is we have one that's essentially focused on very long sets. So it's like a duration method where we're looking at like really taking the local tissue to a metabolic failure of some sort within that given set. And then we would like fully rest and come back through. And then we have another one where we're using incomplete rest, um, to accumulate fatigue over time. So similar to what you're doing in the systemic thing is that the fatigue component is cumulative as the workout goes on. Um, but the individual sets aren't taken to failure. Um, and that's most commonly referred to like as incomplete rest method. I think, you know, in the, in the bodybuilding world, 
uh, Vince Geronda, I think, was like the first person to like really kind of use that. He had his eight by eight method, you know, that probably most meatheads have done. You know, you do eight reps, you rest 30 seconds, you do eight and you like start with a weight that you could do like 15 reps. So that by the time you get to the end, you're like hitting failure on those last two um, versus like the duration method. You're a, like if you're going to do like maybe three rounds of, you know, a, a very either high rep or it's a superset or triset or some sort of just like extended long set method, you're taking the majority of those sets to a high degree of failure and then getting a more complete rest. Uh, and that's kind of, those are the, those are the main three that we use. Um, and you know, I don't know where you want to go with the direction of like the mechanisms or how we apply or what the thought process is. Um, um, so there's but, so uh, many there's so many mechanisms right that we could we could throw out. We have mitochondrial biogenesis, we have hypoxia, we have cell swelling, we have the ability to deal with my, metabolites, we have glycogen. So what which one of those do you think as a potentiator, which one of the, those do you think holds the most weight? Well, it's, I like to use a concept called trainability, which is basically looking at like in terms of what a person's currently capable of recovering from and performing at kind of where do they sit in those things. And so what I would pick usually is like when we're looking at a potentiator is we're trying to figure out right now, what is the, what is the limiter for either this person's performance or recovery in their current hypertrophy blocks. And so when I'm going to use something to potentiate that, that's what I'm looking for. So if I got a guy that's having trouble with workout density or recovery between sets, or he's like his, his ANS is really dysregulated, like then maybe jumping into one of those systemic things is a good idea because I'm going to bring up his aerobic conditioning. Um, you know, and so you, and then you could also look at it as, is like, well, what do I kind of need a deload or a break from as well? So if I'm looking at decreasing volume per muscle, especially within a session because they've been doing a lot of like localized volume, a systemic approach where it's like, man, I'm just using a couple compound exercises. It's very low, like volume per tissue. It's high volume, like in a workout, like in terms of the amount of tissue work, but none of that tissue is trained with high volume and isolation. Um, so it's kind of a, this marriage of like, okay, if I'm going to do this, what can I essentially kind of deload from? And then what could I get that would either help with performance or recovery going into the next thing? So then when it comes to the local ones, that's where I'm really kind of looking at kind of like, okay, what are the possible cellular mechanisms that could be going on here? Um, you know, cause if you got guys that are maybe having trouble with like, like, it seems like they should be tolerating more carbs, but they're not. Um, or they just, they don't like the guys that don't hold a pump in a training session mm-hmm. Then it's like, okay, could I, could I maybe do something that's a little less inflammatory? That's maybe going to help some of those energy systems so that they can handle the oxidative stress and whatnot. Um, and bring my, you know, like maybe bring up my ability to make energy and store glycogen, all the things that would associate with better pumps and being able to sustain localized volume. And that's where I'm kind of using that incomplete rest method. Cause it's kind of like, all right, I need a, like a lower inflammatory way to challenge these energy systems and fuel storage systems. So that then when I go into the next workout, maybe I'll come in with, you know, better fuel management, better, uh, what's your, better what's your thought process? What's your thought process there? Is that, is that because you're just, you're kind of doing these sets that aren't to failure that you're just, you're using the cellular energy me- mechanisms and you're, you're not putting on a ton of inflammatory response. Yeah. So the, the mechanistic difference between the long sets versus the incomplete rest method is essentially the, the, I think the best way to describe the incomplete rest is it's like a rev, you know, like imagine you're, you were like just hitting the red line and backing off, hitting the red, red line and back off. 
Um, and so the main theory behind that is when I look at the research um, and the mechanisms that we have for how oxidative stress is formed as we are training, like under that, you know, metabolic uh, demanding situation, it seems to be that like, okay, the longer we kind of keep that mitochondria, like, you know, like we need it, you to be running max, the greater the rate that I start throwing those electrons. So it seems to me that the way to reduce the amount of oxidative stress per the amount of fuel that I'm like, like the amount of ATP I'm you know, burning through and glycogen, et cetera, would be instead of like holding the gas pedal down would be to rev, come off, rev, come off, rev, come off. And so essentially what I'm looking at when I'm looking at like all of the energy systems working in there is it's like, if I can essentially chop down at that like ATP in that phosphagen system and I can chop down at that glycogen level over time without having to keep the mitochondria at max capacity, I should be able to get like AMP really high. I should be able to get glycogen chopped down really low, um, you know, do all of the things that are going to help with increasing glute uh, for uh, proteins and stuff like that without having to get as much like free radical formation. And then the other thing to look at is actually on the mechanical side is the longer time I spend closer to fatigue, likely the more like mechanical trauma that's going to come with that too. Right. So because essentially, if you look at like the amount of work I'm expending close to failure, it's a lot when I'm doing a long duration set. Like if I say if I take a set to 20 to failure, right, I'm getting to the point where it's like, OK, whatever my 20 RM weight was, my muscle is now fatigued to the point that it couldn't do one more rep at that load versus if I'm doing like the Geronda style method or whatever, where it's like I'm doing like a sub maximal eight and it's not even till I get to the end. And that set, it's like, well, OK. I'm spending such a smaller volume of my workout time in that close to failure threshold, but because I'm using an incomplete rest method, I'm never really letting those energy systems rebalance. So it's like I kind of dig the hole a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper. And so I'm getting those adaptations through that kind of like slow change in terms of, uh, you know, the ratios of ATP, ADP, AMP, and then that slow depletion of that glycogen and glucose based fuel source. So you're saying you're relying on aerobic refueling of the phosphagen system and the creatine, like that whole shuttle lactate. You're relying on mitochondrial biogenesis. You're relying on mitochondrial, mitochondrial respiration less because because of that. If I'm hearing you right. Well, it's more so that um, it's more so that the we'll say let's the best way to put it is the chemical pressure on the mitochondria is decreased by by kind of just backing off and then coming back on. So, because all this stuff functions as a gradient, right? So as soon as I start breaking down ATP, right? And concentrations of ADP and AMP start going up, right? And then all of the, all of the you know, glycolytic intermediates start to change, right? The more I've kind of depleted that system, essentially there's a gradient that, so the more imbalanced that is, the more it's trying to push that pyruvate, acetylcholate, and all of the intermediates, all of the complexes of the mitochondria, right? And so it would, you start thinking like, like imagine playing hot potato, right? And so as you start disrupting our ATP balance, right? And now everything has to be running faster. You look at the way, and this is where like the cellular landscapes are really valuable. Like you look at the way that these complexes are spread around the mitochondria and how these electrons have to be transferred. And if all of a sudden, you're getting this surge 
of like, okay, all this stuff has to function faster. And that requires every intermediate to be there at the extreme timely matter. The chances of you just having disruption and throwing those electrons has to be much, much, much higher. Um, so that's the theory side, the practical side of it. And this is probably the most important is just like what we've observed is that like when we, like if you were to do, if you were to volume equate using an IRM method versus a duration based method is that what we, we do see to, like, okay, it looks like people have actually like had more post, you know, exercise cell swelling. Like they seem to be able to hold like more glycogen that we seem to be able to give them more carbohydrates and they don't get watery or, you know, they actually look leaner. Um, and this, they're not, they don't have the soreness. Um, they're able to repeat both in terms of force output and tolerance to volume, um, you know, usually within 48 hours. Whereas with the long sets, sometimes you are just as sore as if you were doing a very, uh, like a very high volume approach. Like, I don't know if you guys, have ever done, you know, some of like, you know, those brutal, you know, like 6, 12, 25, 8, 8, 15 type protocols where you're doing like two or three exercises, you know, in a row. Um, but even if you only do those for three or four sets, you're taking that to failure. It's like, it is like, there's, this seems to be a significant inflammatory response and, you know, a high degree of soreness. Um, and your strength is diminished for, you know, five plus days after that, your force output. Whereas with this, we tend to be able to like somebody's force output tends to return within 48 hours, which to me, that means that like, cause the, the neural inflammation at the very least has to be much less, which is what kind of gives us that. And, you know, and the mechanical stress would be less. Um, is, is that making sense? I'm trying, I mean, this is a very hard thing when we're looking at, because there's a gazillion mechanisms going on and it's kind of hard to like pick which ones to highlight in terms of, well, this is why, um, but the basic, the basic principle is with the IRM is I'm trying to create a very intense demand for fuel, right? But not hold on to it for a long duration. And by doing that, I'm hoping that I can get the glycolytic pathway to be amplified because I'm asking for energy fast. But I'm hoping not to have as much mitochondrial stress, especially from a reactive oxygen and electron uh, loss thing, because I'm not forcing the mitochondria to stay at its full rate the entire duration of the set. Like it's kind of like it's it's this, it's like hitting it with waves, right? Well, wouldn't so, that be similar to hit training? So like it's exactly what it is. It's yeah, exactly what it is. It's just localized hit training. All right. And so, well, that, that makes me think like, so every time you take your foot off the gas, essentially those mitochondria still have to pump. They still have to run because they have to replenish all those other systems. Uh, go ahead. They, they do, but every percent of recovery they get, it's like the gas pedal comes off a little bit, right? So, cause you don't go from gas to brake, right? You slowly let off of it, right? Cause that's, it is you. All of this stuff, right, is, is, is there's there's a chemical gradient for all of this. So the more ATP that I blow through, the more ADP and AMP I have, right, there's a chemical gradient that then is going to affect how fast that needs to be replenished, right? Mm -hmm. That's how the, the, that's essentially how we recover faster from a high-intensity bout than a, than a low-intensity bout. So as soon as you start getting closer to homeostasis, the 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 rate of everything starts to slow down right so if i walk across the room 
and then come back. Did I burn through? So some? it is. It is like hit. Absolutely. It's like so. It's like steady state versus. Um, how do how do they how are they measuring that? Like not to get completely down. Like this has to be in this has to be what in vitro or are they freezing muscle cells? How are they measuring which aspect of it? So like this this like mitochondrial respiration like James Servey would go wild because he's like how are they measuring it? Like is do they have like a seahorse? Like how are they actually measuring like what's happening at the cellular level? Because that's very hard. Like we think we like it's very hard to do in real time. Like, I think it's possible. So, I mean, so when we look at the different, um, I mean, because all of, I mean, you're, all of these pieces end up having to be measured in different aspects, right? So if we're looking at the pure ROS, like the amount of uh, the amount of reactive oxygens, whatnot, right? There's some applied studies on just like you know long duration bouts, um, and then from a mechanistic standpoint, that's where you start looking at like all of the like the delta G, like the chemical gradients to be able to shift from one state to the next in these proteins and whatnot. And so how much of a concentration is needed to push it this way versus when it be resisted and then you would get an electron lost. And then that's more of a, based off of the mechanisms, here's a hypothetical model of how we would think this would be thrown. Um, but then you also have um, some good research correlating with the duration of these things um, and, the, and the incoming glycogen levels on their impact on like IL-6 that respond to the reactive oxygen stress. Yeah, as you well, get as right? you get lower in glycogen, things tend to be more inflammatory. Like as as you yes as you rock that sink down, um, you you yep. tend you, that tends to happen. Uh, Which is just going to happen with a with a work. Like as you do more work, you're going to drop lower. So that that's what I'm hearing as as we're going through this. Like the mechanisms are are interesting, probably hard to measure, but at the end there. of the day, damn it, I said it again. Um, but you know, you're 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 going to get a higher capacity to do work, and that that seems to be like from the functional adaptation, that's what you're looking for with that. And and you're you're only going to be able to do that if you if you do pull back a little bit in those in those sets on the RPE, because if you go to a 10 RPE, like we've already discussed this in, in detail. You're you're not going to be able to do as much work. The, the, the subsequent sets are going to be either shittier or they're just not going to happen. So I, I I hear that I'm just like if I'm trying to accumulate quality work, I, I'm going to have to pull back and I can use something like this uh, the what IRM method um, or or whatever you want to call it to 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 do that. So I feel like the the mechanisms are interesting, but uh, you know the practicality. I think we'd all I think we'd all agree that the the practicality of this stuff it it's it just like this is this is very useful. Like it's, it's useful on a ton of different layers on a ton of different levels from the practical side. Like you're going to have like RPEs differences. Like if you do some of these, like if you do those long duration sets, that's going to be really high RPE. If you do the systemic training, that's going to be a really high RPE. So then going back to like straight sets feels like magic. Yeah. Um, so you have, there's a lot of practical aspects of this. The, the, the mechanistic stuff is interesting, but what to, what to me is more interesting is like one of the things that you said is like cell swelling and holding a pump seems to be able to seems to be better after doing these yeah. doing these type of protocols and that's measurable yeah. that's that's measurable on ultrasound yeah i mean right now in terms of mechanisms like in terms of the mechanisms a lot of it is combining like combining a lot of speculation with what's happening observationally you know and it's kind of like Based off of what we know, this seems like the best story, but 
you know, there may be pieces that are missing or overlap or whatnot, but it seems like based off of the outcome, that's kind of how, that's kind of how we, we, we built that, you know, just kind of the, like, here's what we think is happening, but practically here's how we know it's working from, this is like what we're getting from an observational results perspective. Um, and so the, the big things with this, if I would say if the, like the most practical takeaways, especially from the RPE thing is, um, I think it's also important for people to understand, like for the way that they're training, like, so for instance, if you're doing a systemic training thing, you might get to where the effort of the workout is hard. Like it seems like an RPE 10, like overall mm -hmm. for the session, yep. right. Mm -hmm. But there's a, being able to distinguish yeah. the difference between being tired versus the local muscle actually being pushed. Like those are, those are good things. Cause then you could actually judge in your hypertrophy cycle. It's like, I'm mm -hmm. starting to drop off here. These sets are starting to get harder, but is that because I'm really fatiguing this, these, this local tissue that I'm trying to grow really well? Or is that just cause I'm too fucking out of shape to do this workout? Yeah. Like, sorry. You know. so, no, no. I swear, like I swear more than anyone. The, the, that's that's i think transitioning crossfitters into a more hypertrophy type block you're like they're they think it's so easy because everything they've done is that systemic fatigue and so they but they can't really take they're locally they're not that good yet yeah. and they can't they can't buffer very well so it's really interesting to like they're like leg extension they get smashed and then they they don't have much repeatability there so it's it, that i love that man that's cool uh, yeah, so I'd be curious to, to hear like how you're how you're measuring that, and is that is that all just like a subjective thing where you find that someone's because you work with a lot of people online, I would imagine, right? Yeah. Okay. So so I, you know, like, what are you seeing when you look at that on on a spreadsheet or something, or the feedback that they're giving you? If you if you say like, hey, like, what the hell's going on here? Like, what's what's this drop off about? How do you determine if they're just out of shape and it's time to run one of these work capacity cycles? Is this something that you just or whatever you want to call it, but uh, is this just something that you just do periodically throughout the 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 training macro cycle planned, or, or I'd be just curious how you decide when it's mm -hmm. time to do something like that. For let, let's just talk about uh, specifically like the systemic metabolic side of things, and then maybe get into more peripheral stuff. Yeah. Um, okay. So if we if if I take it for the perspective of somebody's in a current like hypertrophy block, and I'm yeah. trying to decide do they do they need to leave, right? So uh, in our, in our questionnaire feedback stuff, we're looking, um, we're asking from a training perspective, like one, you know, are they improving? Two, are they getting a pump? And then we have like, like three degrees of measurement for that pump. Like I have a pump that lasts the entire workout. Uh, I have a pump, but it, you know, I lose it right away. I have a pump, but I lose it like in the last, you know, half quarter of the workout or whatever. Um, and keep in mind, a lot of these things, we, we don't look at the static measure. We look at the trends over time, yeah. um, you know, cause we may have somebody come in and it's like, all right, well, here's your current set point for this. And then if I adjust these metrics, like how does it adjust over time? Um, so one aspect is looking at change in that one is looking at just like change in their performance. Um, and then a lot of it is also relative to how they perform in different muscle groups or different, uh, supersetting combinations and things like that. So for instance, you know, if you have somebody that seems to be able to like, man, I can, you know, I can maintain my performance if I'm doing like elbow flexion, but if you give me a, like a big compound movement. I seem to be dropping off. Like if you know, like I need these exurbent long rest intervals to be able to do that. And if it doesn't seem proportional to the change in exercise, if it seems like, well, you know, if you're able to recover in 45 
seconds for an elbow flexion exercise, but you need five minutes for a squat. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's that's too big of a that's too big of a gap there. That means that probably that your conditioning wise, like you need you need to be able to improve there, right? Especially when we look at say a workout where people are doing like antagonistic supersets, right? Like they're doing a push and then a pull or whatever. Um, and if it's like if it seems like, well, why why are you having trouble maintaining performance? when you're doing like these antagonistic pairings and you're still getting like a minute rest in between each exercise, like you're coming back here, you've had two to three minutes, like you shouldn't be dropping off this fast. It's like, okay, likely, you know, there's a conditioning aspect. Um, and then we'll also do, um, we'll also do a lot of looking at, um, like pictures, weights, circumferences and stuff like that and tracking how people change, uh, through different days and different feeds. So if you have somebody that's on, you know, a carb cycle or they have like a, you know, a certain training days or whatever is actually looking at change in fluid or, or weight and stuff like that. So if I have somebody, um, and you know, they have a refeed day and we're giving them, we're giving them some carbs and we see that like, man, like they don't vis- they drop weight, but they don't vis- visibly look like they've like filled up or anything. I'm like, okay, this person needs more. And we try and give them more and it doesn't work. And I'm like, okay, well, from a performance perspective, I would really like to give you more carbohydrates. But when we give it to you, you just kind of like, you know, it just goes places that we don't want it to. Like, you you know, you just you just gain a bunch of water, you get bloated or, or whatever. Um, but and you go back in and it's like, oh, yeah, my pumps were no better. My performance really wasn't any better, even though you gave me all of these carbohydrates. That's another marker for me of like, OK, maybe locally we should actually do some things to focus on that, right? So it's a it's a combination of looking at performance and also I really like to look at anything that I could, um, you know, speculate of how somebody is currently managing glucose and energy production. Um, so you think we can drive more metabolic flexibility with these kind of local blocks uh, than a systemic block? Yes, yes, definitely, yeah. So, well, and you have to look at, like, when we look at metabolic flexibility, um, and, and this is where, like, when we look at energy systems and all this stuff, too, you have to look at, you know, like, if I train my biceps, you know, in a metabolic fashion, I might get mitochondrial binogenesis and increased efficiency, you know, and increased concentration of GLUT4 proteins and stuff, but it's in my biceps, right? Whereas if I'm doing systemic stuff, there's aerobic benefits, like, there's going to be adaptations at the kidney level, at the lungs, at the liver, like especially the liver is a huge one. Like in terms of me, like like doing periodization and stuff like that, we like we really, really pay attention to things that seem to be correlated uh, to the liver because it's just it's of all of the organs that we have, you know, from a resistance training perspective, if we're doing lactic based training that, you know, that seems to be the main one that like we would be putting a drain on the system. You know, so we're tracking like, okay, we're tracking sleep and stuff like that. And if all of a sudden, because what you'll see is like, if we're training somebody systemically and we overtrain them, they start waking up in the middle of the night, right? And then all of a sudden you decrease that systemic stress, maybe, you know, give them a little bit more carbohydrates or some fruit before bed or something like that. And all of a sudden now, now, now their sleep pattern is, is normalized, but it's like, okay, what system did we, did we stress out there? Right. And it's like, okay, this is the systemic system. Right, causes. So that. you think you're and eating up liver glycogen? What would your mechanism there be? So that. it's not so well. When I'm looking at is when we look at the cycle of like when we do a lot of lactate training, and then we and then the the more demand we put on the liver for both lactics lactic lact lactate recycling 
right, and gluconeogenesis, right, those, those are those tend to be negative energy balance things for the liver. Like it, it loses. It, it takes it, energy. It, it costs the liver that, energy right? to do those things. Yeah. Yeah. Right. right? Um, and so when I look at systemic training, I almost look at it as like, man, if I'm pushing these huge surges of lactate into the blood, if I were to look at the liver like I was training a muscle, it's like this would be the equivalent of me doing like, you know, conditioning training for that organ. Right. Because it's like, how do you train your how do you train your mitochondria and your kidney, you know, or in your spleen? Or like we, that, that's where when we start to look at the system biology, it's like, well. Okay, what is going on here, and what now am I actually taxing the energy systems in those tissues by the metabolites that I'm making, and would there be a observational thing that I could get from there, right? And I know you're probably hating all of these like speculation no, no. connecting the dots. No, there. no, I immediately go to like how how like how testable is this hypothesis, and and I think like I would put it in an extreme, right? So like someone doing keto, like it's a very a lot of people do this, right? If you're keto doing a ton of, I guess you would call it glycolytic work without, then that should potentially tax your liver to produce that glycogen a lot. Cause we're, we're st- like, if you look at Volick who hates carbohydrates more than any person ever, um, he's found that like glycogen, resting glycogen levels um, between keto adapted athletes and non-keto don't seem to be significantly different, which means that they are using those other things to replete glycogen and the early studies in the in in the 90s show that you can replete glycogen without carbohydrates to the tune of you know like 75 percent of what you could do with carbohydrates in six hours um and so you're saying that is potentially going to lead to an overtraining mechanism or an energy crisis for the liver yeah so and um there's a guy that I, that I need to connect you with too. That's also doing some integration between Chinese medicine and what and Eastern medicine, and trying to actually like look at like, well, what does this actually translate to in the way we look at it? Um, and so, I first got into this whole like sleep cycle thing and looking like when it, people are waking up, and it was like from a Chinese medicine background. Um, and what they're correlating now with the data is showing that like that three to five window is like it's a it's a glutathione production thing and so like okay if we're if we're creating a bunch of oxidative stress in the liver by forcing it basically to have to run its energy systems at max to recycle all this lactate and make all this glucose that could then be stressing out its you know oxidation oxidative buffering system and so that's then why we would be getting the, you know, the subsequent wake up at that period. Right. You know, that's the theory. Um, anyway, wouldn't, wouldn't right? the heart, wouldn't the heart be oxidizing a lot of that lactate during the session? Uh, I, would, I would think that the, especially during the systemic stressors, because I would think that the uh, cardiovascular system is going to be a huge limiter here. And wouldn't the heart be taking up a lot of that lactate to, to recycle it and use it? Yeah. Well, I mean, pretty much. I mean, a lot of tissues can take up lactate, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the lactate shuttling thing is a, I, it's one of those things where it's still, right now I think the story is not completely. Yeah. Yeah, we talked there, about that a, a lot with, with, there, right? with Evan. Like, yeah, 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 like lactate as a fuel is super interesting. Um, yeah, so the, the question is, is like, well, how much of it's getting taken up by the heart? I, I can't give you an answer for that, um, you know. Um, but in terms of... In, in terms of managing the concentration and stuff, I would like the heart would basically I would look at it as like, man, it's probably not going to take more than it needs. Right. Mm-hmm. 
And so if we're creating this huge surplus, like your liver is going to be the thing that's like, okay, we have an abundance of this and we need to, we need to, we need to regulate that. And the other thing is, is that if I'm thinking of it from a evolutionary standpoint, um, or more of just like a, what would make sense from a physiological standpoint, if the reason that my lactate is up is because my muscles are under an extreme demand for glucose right now, wouldn't mm-hmm. it make more sense to try and get glucose back to that tissue that's needed for me to like fight or survive or whatever at this, you know, I guess I, I almost would see that making more sense with like the peripheral type of stuff because Mm -hmm. I, I would see like, I, I'm, I guess I'm having trouble understanding if, uh, you would actually get that much demand for glycogen in any local tissue because you're just shuttling stuff around. Like if you're doing, well, I guess I, I, the question would be like, you would yeah. like so. I'm, I'm yeah. guessing that what I'm I'm wondering is how much uh like how much time are you spending with these like how long is the session like what kind of uh like setup do you have with this this type of training cycle um because or maybe I'm just just not understanding it correctly just in terms of the uh, the the glycogen usage but well you'll get you'll get muscle specific glycogen depletion based on like the research is pretty clear on that like stabbing people with biopsies. Like if you do bicep, you'll if you did curls, you can deplete fit, from other areas. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, no, you'll get you'll get depletion in your biceps. Like it, yeah, you, if you're doing squat. it, but I, if you squat, yeah, because you're gonna yeah. use you're gonna use glycogen from another area. And, and oh, I don't know. I, no, no, you, you're not gonna like the body, the muscle, muscle cellular energy is stored within that muscle. Like you can't specific. you can't <laughs> use muscle glycogen from other muscles to give you glycogen in other muscles. You can use it's lactate. Less. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, unless you convert that gl- that glycogen into glucose, the glucose and then into and lactate, yeah. and the lactate yeah, yeah, that'd be a, that'd be a long <laughs> process. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah, you, and that's why. Right, so yeah. Or so, so then, why would, cycle. Yeah, why would you be depleting in a, in a local tissue? Well, okay. So from the liver, from the liver's perspective, it doesn't know where the lact- lactate's coming yeah. from, mm-hmm. right? All it knows is that the blood concentration is is going up, right? Um, you know, and so at that point in time, it's like, well, here's this, you know, and here's this fuel source, essentially, if you want to even call it that it's, it's a fuel source, but for the liver, it's a negative fuel source. Um, but it doesn't know that like, am I getting this from going ham on the leg extension or am I getting this from like doing like bicep curls and then right into triceps and then right into lateral raises and like not resting Mm -hmm. and like just doing like a circuit. Like it it doesn't know if it's coming from a bunch of muscles or a a few. So when we're looking at like this energy system stuff, you have to kind of like, you have to see the whole picture from cellular level to then like, okay, tissue sharing level. And then from an organismal level and yeah it beca- it becomes very complicated but so the basic principle of this is like when i'm doing it the systemic is i'm trying to use a large volume of tissue trained to a lactic threshold that's still sub maximal mm-hmm. right so that it's like so i'm getting to that not, point you're where not putting there's a, a bunch of met- met- metabolic yeah. byproducts right. you're using a lot of oxygen yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So uh, I got I got a lot of sponges that I'm squeezing a little versus squeezing yeah. all of it out of one, mm-hmm. right? That's the whole that's the whole principle of what I'm trying to do at the systemic training. Totally, right? totally, yeah, yeah. And, that, and then that, the local that, methods are the opposite. And you could potentially, and this is why I sent you guys that chart where, for some of these stimuli, it said um, limited to like big part only, 
mm-hmm. right? Because if mm-hmm. I mean, because if you do a long set of quads, right, that's everything. still going to be systemically lactic, yeah. right? Like you, you know, so so on those days you would still be getting a systemic stimulus because of the fashion that you were training those large muscle groups. They're just large enough to tax you systemically, and that's actually one of the, you know, going back to one of the reasons. It's like okay, if I see that a limiting factor for somebody's quad day is there like it does seem to be their conditioning right like getting their heart rate back down and stuff like that it might be like man like right now your quads have gotten too big and too strong for what you can tolerate systemically so i need to increase your systemic capacity so that that's not the limiting factor in your quad workout sorry i didn't mean to cut you off no no no, i was just saying that because I use a very similar model for this stuff too with with people. It just makes a lot of intuitive sense to me, and I've I've seen it. And, and from like my my argument is always if if I can't explain it properly, I'm just going to say, well, fuck. There's a psychological component to it, and that's that's enough benefit for me just to give someone something different, get them excited about it, just a different thing. Like so, I think that that's that's huge. So the uh, thing that I was going to ask is is the counter argument to this is well. What if you're just making someone super efficient and now they're requiring a lot more work to get the same job done? What, what would you say to that? Making Does that make any more sense? efficient. Yeah. Yes. I, I hate that argument. It's just, it's yeah, go, go for it. And I, like, I'm on neither side of the fence with that. Yeah. I, just, I just know that's um, something that could come up. Yeah. I mean, cause I mean, I, I remember even like being back in like, not saying this is where you're coming from, but where people are like, Oh yeah, you shouldn't do, you shouldn't do cardio training. Cause it makes you metabolically efficient. Yeah, right. Yeah. And then and you're like going to have to eat yeah. less. And yeah. I'm like, seriously, yeah. 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 that's yeah. not yeah. how metabolism works. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so what I'm trying to do when, when I'm periodizing, right. Is I'm trying to make the systems that I'm not currently trying to stress efficient enough that they are not the limiters. Totally. Right. Mm-hmm. Be, and, and the bigger that gap, the more area for progression I have within that block. Because if I'm doing a bunch of like really tension based training, right, if if I came in really conditioned, those conditioning adaptations are going to drop down. Right. Like that's just that's just the way that happens. Right. You don't like get in shape once and then you just you just you stay there forever. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and we tend to lo- met, lose metabolic adaptations really, really fast. And so they'll come down. They'll like they'll come down to where wherever our current training demand is. Um, and sometimes if we are creating enough of a like we're creating a really good mechanical tension based stress. I always look at it as like, man, we are so resource dependent and time being one of those things that like when we look at like ribosomes make all of our proteins make all of our proteins that includes the mitochondrial proteins and and the contractile proteins and the organelle based proteins so if i'm actually succeeding at getting a really strong stimulus there's just a logistical like supply and demand and time frame restrictions on some of these things where it's like the more that i start honing in on one goal other things are just going to have to give right i may not know exactly where it's pulling from but i want to make sure that like man like if i'm driving down this road like I want to make sure that basically everything else is like clear so that I can just I can just go like right to that. And then when all of a sudden other stuff starts slowing me down, rather than continuing to chop at this thing with diminishing returns, why not step out, bring up those other adaptations, especially because metabolic adaptations happen really fast, fast. like really fast. You're talking like systemic in. more so, right? Even local, any of them, right? Yeah, so okay. it just depends. On, it depends. on Like, that's the thing. Whatever happens to become the limiting factor. That's the thing that I'm going to go out and bring yeah. up. 
and you can well, you can hold probably. you can hold on to aerobic capacity for for a surprisingly say, long, time. A long time with very yeah. little volume i mean i yeah. think that that's kind of where i'm at with this stuff and what i've seen is like if i if i bring somebody up with a work capacity cycle where they were once limited by their ability to just shunt blood around and and uh just cardiovascularly or whatever the issue is respiratorily um then it doesn't take much to maintain that like they're they're almost going to maintain those adaptations just by doing some fucking leg press with higher reps or, or whatever it yeah, doesn't yeah. take very much and they might not be at the peak that they were but like if they're at 90 percent of that it's plenty to get the job done in terms of mechanical tension if that's what the goal is yeah so if i give you guys a kind of an example of like this is a very general example of how we use this the majority of the time um you know is this, so this is, we'll just start at the beginning got somebody coming in they want they want to do hypertrophy i mean and the first thing is is like okay Right now, if we started a hypertrophy program, are all of these other systems conditioned enough that they're not going to be the limiting factor right mm -hmm. from the get-go? And that's actually one of the things that we do that I think really makes us successful because usually people that are coming in, the only thing they've been training for is like hypertrophy. Mm -hmm. And so it's like the last thing you need right now is just another one of the same thing that isn't working. Um, and so usually they will go into some sort of systemic or whatever. Half the time people come in and they've just been, you know, progressively increasing their volume forever that's like actually yeah the systemic thing is perfect because it's one it's a deload for volume right which you so deeply need mm -hmm. um but your ego just hasn't allowed you to do right uh, but they also need all these other benefits um so we'll start up there and sometimes i'll double dips like i will do maybe like oh well i'm gonna do like maybe two weeks of systemic work and then i'm gonna throw one week of irm work on the end there to just like okay cool now let's just like load you up let's just make you super pump man so that then week you know uh week four when you start your hypertrophy program you're coming in with you know big you've basically like had a nice big carb load and we've done hopefully training that just helped you partition and you know super compensate as much glycogen as we can and your performance should be great um and there's and your joints should stuff. feel pretty good. Yeah, your joints should feel pretty good. Like all sorts of stuff. It's a fucking workhorse at that point, too. Yeah. And then it becomes kind of a cyclical approach. So for the majority of people, they're running, they run a hypertrophy for X amount, and then they'll come out for a week or two into one of these things and then jump right back on. So when a typical person would say, like, oh, you know, you shouldn't program hop or, you know, you should do like, it's like, well, we're not really program hopping. We're just kind of like, we're just kind of like going in for maintenance and then getting back. It's like a pit stop is yeah. really what it is, right? It's like we're putting on new tires and then going rather than trying to run the entire Daytona 500 on the same set of tires. Like that's, that, that's, that's not a good solution. So like I can still get 12 weeks of hypertrophy work done. It's just in my 12 weeks, weeks it might be like, well, I did a three-week and then I jumped out and then I came back in three weeks. And like, it doesn't always work like, you know, nice and perfectly symmetrical like that. But that's kind of kind of what it is. And you know, observationally, we get significantly better net results over time doing that than just like continuing to grind at that process. Um, double double think, progression until you fucking can't count anymore. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> right? I, well, I, I think I, there's I, so many. Go ahead. No, no, go, 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 go. I think there's so many things when it, when you look at like the whole volume progression thing, um, I almost look at some of these things. It's like, are, are these strategies to basically almost allow me to keep getting adequate stimulus at some of these lower volumes too? Yeah. Right. Cause a lot of times, like 
I will, you know, somebody will do this and they'll come back in at the same amount of volume that they were doing. And then they'll be making better progress it's at that volume yeah. because, you know, they're just everything is better. Like, you know, from a recovery perspective reform. So I think I mean, because if if you literally needed progressive overload, that this is, you know, I'm not against progressive overload as long as where it's an overload of stimulus and not just progressive load. Um, but if it's like the only way that things happen is it was just stacking on top of each other. Right. It's like everybody that's been training 10 years must be doing like three workouts and like 40 sets per body part by now. Right. I mean, that would be the only way it works. But no, there's got to be ways that we can kind of almost decondition the threshold that we need to stimulate some of those things. And I think leaving and going doing something else that has a completely different stress and stimulus demand is a great way to kind of let. All right. Cool. Now. You know, we don't need quite as much, you know, mechanical tension to stimulate mTOR or whatever. Because so it it allows me over that span to get really good results without necessarily having to climb the volume ladder as high over that same um, time period as well. Which you know, I just think that's a better solution from a recovery and longevity perspective. Period. Right. And, and practicality. Yeah, practicality. Right. So, so yeah, that's that's the question of like this resensitization concept which mm-hmm. hasn't been proven yet. <laughs> I understand yeah. that from what I understand, there was like, there was a, there's a study one on rats. Study, yeah. yeah. Um, so, but it, I just think at some point, just practically, you just, like you said, you can't continue to do more and more and more. You, you have to get more out of what you're doing. So I, I think that these different cycles allow that to happen. I mean, you um, look at nature too, like in nature, everything runs in cycles. Like you don't just mm-hmm. like, there's not and en- there's not there's not endless summer anywhere and if there is it's a fucking desert like so like th- there's everything has cycles so it makes sense to me that there are th- that we have to respect that it's completely i guess it's woo but what i see i've been around a lot of smart people in my life and taking on like complex problems and what i see time in and time out is that they have these multi multifactorial th- systems that they're looking at, right? And then they're trying to find the limiters in those systems. It doesn't matter what the problem is. They're trying to find the limiter and then they're gonna put that effort into the limiter. And so I I think that we think of hypertrophy as a very simple thing, right? Like more tension, more volume, more like, that's how people are selling this. And that might be true to a point, but I think we, we, and that's why none of this stuff is necessarily worth looking at in untrained people because the stimulus that they need is, is nothing, right? And whereas if, once you hit, once you hit whatever that is from an from my perspective, once you hit the law, the land of depreciating returns, then I think like these, these other mechanisms and these other things, like your cost benefit equation or your, and your opportunity costs go so low, go so far down, like, okay, great. You spent three weeks having fun doing some shit that you weren't doing before and you came back and you feel better. that's that's enough like that's enough we can argue about the mech and i think like you you and all three of us i love talking about the mechanisms of this stuff like i love it i'm like how do we research it how do we like what's the what are the negatives in the research like can we even answer this question with the technologies that we have right now but i hear that and i'm like shit dude you've been like how many people if you walk if you walk into a gold's gym right now like it's crazy to me. Like, so they, a lot of people just went from doing the same shit they were doing to not having access to that equipment. And if they, and maybe they, they did do some of these metabolic blocks, 
right? So it'll be really interesting to see if those those folks who went to more calisthenics or body weight training or higher up training come back and they actually get better. Probably not because they just don't have any fucking type of thing that they're doing. But <laughs> I think that the practicality of this of these ideologies is is interesting. And I also think that and this isn't a knock against you, Chasm. It like things that sound cool, fucking people love. Like if it sounds cool, like you, I know you guys have like an AMPK block and you have these 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 other block, like you're doing an mTOR block or whatever block. Like that sounds cool to me. Like I've even thought about this, like when people are talking about, like I don't know if that's a fucking thing. Like I don't know if you could run. Like I'm like, how is he running an AMP block? Are they fasting? Like what is this? What are they doing in this AMP block? But I know that it sounds fucking cool. And I'm like, hey, I kind of want to do that. And if it sounds cool, the psychological aspect of it is, then I then you can get buy-in. And then then I think that observationally, you guys are seeing really cool results. And that's why I'm like, hey, from the applied side, let's measure this. Because cell swelling, that's, that's an easy yeah, measurement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if people are getting better pumps and they're able to sustain more volume, like that, the, I don't know, man, the, the sustaining a pump thing, I don't even, I don't even know if there's research on that. Scratching my head right now because there's so many. I'm like, what very like this the sustaining a pump? You'd have carb intake, you'd have salt intake, you'd have water intake, you'd have what what other what other variables do we have to control for? That you'd have to control for? Yeah, like if we're if we're trying to like just sustaining a pump. You got you got carbon take, salt intake. You'd have you'd have to keep workouts. You'd have to keep concentric, eccentric the same. Uh, you'd have to keep lockouts the same because if you're doing, especially if you're doing multi joint lifts, because if you you can you can squeeze, you can essentially curate BFR. Um, yeah. well, what like what's happening when someone's losing a pump? Like if they're continuing, yeah. like just what what do you what do you think's going on there when someone's like doing bicep curls, getting a good pump, getting a good pump, and then it's gone. What's the deal? Well, so there's a couple of mechanisms right now that we have that are that are pretty good for that, and one of them actually is uh, is actually the oxidation, right? So, because so for instance, when you when you disrupt that energy balance by starting to train, right, and you start burning through ATP, you immediately start going through that whole cascade of events that's going to open the doors for glucose and start getting that and start breaking down the glycogen. Okay. When you reach a certain threshold for oxidative markers, that AMPK actually starts to reverse action and downregulate as a protective mechanism to force you to back off the gas, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also have. Uh, so you're talking local inflammation there. You're talking local inflammatory response. Well, that that's that's that that's a, that's just a biochemical response. Before we get so the inflammatory response. Um, from a pump perspective is more when you get the lipid peroxidation. That seems to be the one that affects it. So when you actually start to get oxidation of the membranes of the organelles and, and whatnot in there, there tends, but that tends to actually be the thing that kind of makes you have almost like that edema-like pump that lasts a long time. And it's right? not local. It's, it's well, it's, I mean, it's, it's like it's local, local for your shoulder. Like you could get it like, like CrossFit delt, like you didn't really train your delt, but you got a bunch of shit there. Yes, where like when you do the workout where your quad turns into a un, right? Mm-hmm. It's just a big, it's just a big round thing on the front of your leg. Like there's, yeah, <laughs> there's, yeah. There's, yeah right? So yeah, <laughs> um, 
and uh, and 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 you know, there's a there's a vascular adaptation to then also hold more subcutaneous, you know, fluid around in that area too. Um, so, like right now, you you could look at all right. Well, just simply, if we're just losing glycogen concentration and glucose within the cell, it's going to lose water, so it's going to devolumize. So there's one thing mm. to lose the pump, right? Okay. Um, and that's a combination of what am I burning through and am I working at a rate, an oxidative rate, where I'm actually going to choke choke off the intake of that glucose temporarily. And so actually, so when we do these um, these duration methods, one of the ways that we kind of figure out like we've accomplished what we do is actually you start to lose the pump, mm. right? Versus the IRM method, like you should, you should, you should be ballooned up. Like you, you finish that, like it should just be getting bigger, 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 bigger. And then like you're there and it stays right. Whereas like, if you're really hitting that oxidative stress marker for some of the uh, duration ones is it's like, all right, you, maybe you're doing three sets. Like the first set, you got a good pump second one, like, okay. And the third one, you'll see both your pump and your performance just right. You know, um, and so, I mean, that's from a mechanistic level, glycogen concentration, which is going to, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the other metabolites are going to affect hydration too, but none of them are going to change as much as like within a, within a workout as much as glycogen in terms of its influence on cellular hydration, right? Um, yeah. And the oxidation. It's probably also just like, I would assume there's interference with uh, calcium and stuff too. Like you're not going to get as, as much uh, a, a sense of you're not going to be as sensitive to calcium with fatigue eventually. So maybe a part of it's just like motor unit recruitment going down as well at that point. Yeah. <clears throat> so they're probably um, all happening together. I, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Everything, everything's happening, you know, together at that point. Um, you know, and luckily there's some compartmentalization in terms of like, you know, the fluid around, you know, the synapse versus, you know, uh, what's just going to be able to, uh, enter the sarcolemma, et cetera. Um, but from a nervous perspective, you, the, I'm really curious of how much the, um, the pressure change and stuff. Cause I, I think I sent you that paper on DOMS, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the yeah, we don't. That's crazy to me. Like know, that, we're right. still arguing about how DOMS happens, whether it's neuroinflammation, muscular damage. Like it's cool. Yeah, um, and so with that neuro stuff, there tends to be like so. Depending on like if you say, for instance, overloaded that lengthened position and really stretched that a lot, right? Could there be some signaling there that is actually going to affect that from a pressure perspective and whatnot? Do we have some mechanisms? For that, I don't know, because definitely stuff with Titan and all that. They talk a little bit about that in that Wackridge paper, 2018 paper, just with signaling through through uh, through like the, the Titan and it's just like the pressure against the exoskeleton. It seems to be some some mechanism there, yeah. Yeah. So, but what I'm talking about from the nervous uh, system one is is that when when you get to a stretch, uh, and it's a combination of the pressure and the stretch. Uh, the nervous system goes through phases of inhibition and then inflammation and you know, like it, there's a coordination of it. I got actually, I got a, I got a buddy that it's, I'm trying to get to dig a little bit deeper cause he's not, my neurophys is, is, is okay, but it's not like, it's not that great. But I'm wondering if the, you know, part of that initial protective mechanism could also lead to basically it's like, well, if you're getting less firing, 
could we could that be the thing that just also starts to decrease so could we mm-hmm. essentially through almost like loaded stretching get rid of a pump faster that, or in a different mechanism than when we are biochemically interesting huh. my boy my boy eric helms has uh he's 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 dropped some some interesting thought processes and he said maybe we need to stop looking at how muscles like how muscles grow and start looking at why they stop growing um and so that that to me gets i get really interested in like angiogenesis and also ribosomal biogenesis and like how much these ribosomes can can pump out because angiogenesis like blood volume like then you, you also get into myonuclear domains um and so that's why i think some of this stuff if, if you really if people are like hey i'm not sold i'm gonna fucking i'm gonna be a rep bean counter uh, which I have nothing. I think there's times and there's times and place to you know. Oh my god, I got I went I got three more reps on my total reps of bicep curls. I think there's 100 a place to be there. But I think if you're looking for a long term, if you're looking towards bringing some of these limiters and how big you can be, I, I think the 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 angiogenesis, the myonuclear, like so maybe you get maybe with this satellite, that's the the big thing of like muscle damage. Like maybe you do, yeah. maybe you get some satellite cell stuff. Like mm-hmm. maybe we, maybe yeah. like we threw the bath wall, maybe we threw the metabolic stress, maybe threw the baby out with the bath water too fast. Maybe we even threw the baby out with the bath water too fast on muscular damage. That's a harder sell. But I think that there are some mechanisms in here of why muscles stop growing that we can say, all right, this stuff isn't hurting you unless unless your ego is attached to how much you squat and then you're not going to want to do any of this stuff anyways but then you're not but then you're not really a hypertrophy athlete yeah then you're then you're then you're a powerlifter or you're, you're confused you, just, yeah. you don't know who you are you you have you're having an identity crisis you're talking to me i get it it's fine <laughs> fuck you i and i think people make um they they make their decisions too much on just acutely what's happening right so it's like oh yeah like i've been progressing my loads, you know, and getting stronger, stronger, stronger. Wait, you want me to take one week and go to high reps? Cause then if I come back, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be less, but it's like, are you, but are they considering where that's going to land them in, you know, 12 weeks? Cause usually like when you do that and you come back, you don't go, you, you're, you gain strength faster initially than what you were when you were like finishing a block. Right. I mean, every strength block starts off faster and, and, and ends down. So these mechanisms may chronically be much more advantageous than what we know but if you the most people's reservations are all about the acute right now uh, yeah. impact right and we're, it's the same thing for the hypertrophy research right like so if we're doing muscle damage like well i mean a few satellite cell recruitments isn't going to necessarily make my you know is it going to change my <laughs> ultrasound numbers very much uh you know so but that may potentiate future hypertrophy more so was it worth taking a week to just like you know create a bunch of oxidative stress or just tear a bunch of stuff up for those other adaptations that weren't as acutely rewarding and were and and that's what i'm looking at with all this periodization Mm -hmm. of like okay if i if i'm hitting these energy systems and i'm bringing them up is that impacting my recovery the other 23 hours of the day is it impacting you know just the overall quality of life my energy production the amount of need that i'm going to have my body composition and how long of a diet you know, I'm going to have to switch like all of these things. I'm like, man, chronically, these are these are strategies that might practically resu- give me much better results in a big window of time, despite many people's acute reservation of like, well, OK, if I do this, is am I going to be fully activating mTOR this week? Like, well, no, you're not. But that's not the goal of this week. That's it's OK right. to have. It's OK. To, that's the whole purpose of the potentiation is like, 
well, this week's goal is to make next week better, not to be the same as next week's goal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's 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 a long-term game. Like I think that's yeah. something that I'm constantly saying with hypertrophy. It's like if you want instant gratification, you're in the wrong place. Like it's unless you get in a pump though, because that's actually pretty gratifying. I, I think that like once that's what I'm saying. Like once you reach this this area of where you are an advanced trainee, then I then I think all of these these things make a lot more sense. And the opportunity cost goes way, 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 way down. Yeah. And yeah. and the and the fun potentially goes way up. Which you uh, need, like despite how hardcore you think you are, you you do need to enjoy training. It, it's it's your and anyone who does anything for long enough, it's it stops being fun. Like that, I I don't care who you are or how hardcore you think you are. Like you, we need novelty every now and then. And it doesn't have to be much. And if you're talking like, I mean, that, that's uh. It sounds like you run these cycles in shorter duration than I do. Um, it sounds like you guys are doing like these pretty quick, like week or two in and out. Like I, I really like yeah. that that concept because so you think these adaptations are really happening that quickly that you can just get in and get out and then oh, yeah. uh, see something. Yeah, the metabolic stuff is very fast. And actually, so if you look at the research on HIT and you look at the hormonal cascade, like it, after three weeks, this it's just it's just, just flatlines, hmm. right? So, um, you know, so it's like, like man, growth hormone release and that kind mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. yeah. So it's like, all right, if I'm starting to see some of the possible benefits of this training system start to drop off, why would I stay there longer? Yeah. Right. Right. Like I would rather, I would rather come back to it sooner than start to stay there. Like when it's not yielding as good a result. So I look at like every, every, every stimulus that I'm going for and every, every training block I'm in is I'm looking at like, well, there's kind of like this bell curve of like almost adaptations and results that I'm going to get. Like when I first start, you know, I'm not going to be as, as good at it, just skill or conditioning wise, whatever. Um, and then I'm going to kind of reach a pinnacle. Um, but as soon as that starts to drop off, either because of, you know, just the stimulus is just getting desensitized or that another thing's becoming a limiting factor, regardless of why it starts to drop off. For me, it's like, man, why would I spend time on the downhill side of this thing when I could jump out and then come back in at the uphill yeah. and, and spend more time at the peak, right? Like, why, why would I want to spend time where I'm getting a, you know, a decreased magnitude of results? Why would I want to have more weeks in a year like that when I could probably have a higher net magnitude of results if I were to just not be so stubborn? And it's like, you know, because some people are like, oh, yeah, you know, embrace the process. If it's not working, just keep going and pushing through it. And you'll see like, you know, well, okay, maybe results will come back in like three or four weeks or, or something. I'm like, man, but what if I could jump out a week actually give some other positive adaptations to my body, you know, that are going to improve my health, quality of life and, you know, have the enjoyment of making progress rather than wondering why the hell this isn't working. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. so there's a psychological component too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm always trying to like, man, if this isn't working, cool, like ditch out, yeah. like, yeah. you know, fail, fail um, fast. Yeah. Fail fast. I mean, that's not just, that's not, that's not just in the business world, guys. Like, that's like, hey, guys, we, like, these things are useful. And I, the, one of the, one of the big, big realizations that I had with the, this, essentially this, this progressive overload to, to the end of time is that if you look at a lot of people doing, using those types of coaches or, and I'm not going to throw out any names because it's not necessarily helpful, but what I see in those camps is I see they are, 
and mine, you see this too, they're almost constantly battling some type of overuse injury. Yeah. Uh, and and that's that's what really drives me crazy is because like dude if you had if you had some fun every now and again and you weren't chasing you know one more rep on the same exercise that you've been doing for the last you know 15 weeks you could have more fun potentially get the same or better results without feeling like every tendon and ligament in your body is fraying out well it seems to me that nature periodizes in for them with <laughs> yeah, yeah. an injury with or they get yeah. sick. See, that shit help. kills it's me. Like, it's yeah, like, yeah, there's, right? there's other things that are going to slow you down. That's what I see a lot of with this. I'm just like, you're just out of fucking shape. Like you're, I mean, if we talk, and this is theoretical at this point, but if we talk like polyvagal shit, like they're just going sympathetic by the time they walk into the gym. Like they're already at risk <laughs> because they're just, they haven't done anything different. Their system is just stagnant. Like they're, they only can do one thing. They're a fucking one trick pony. So I, that's, that's what I see. It's just like, you're going to break eventually if that's what you do. And it might even be psychologically. Cause there's like, like I see, I see these people using a shit ton of pre-workouts too. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. like on, on, on the backside of this, they're like taking two scoops of three scoops of C4 just to like get in the gym. Yeah. Yeah. So the way that I've managed to convert those people, um, you know, as I tell my, 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 me- my mechanistic stories that Ben loves. Um, but I basically go through how like all of everything that we focus on for hypertrophy Right, it's still yeah. energy system. Dude, you say enough. You see enough big right? words, people eat that shit up, man. Yeah, right? <laughs> you know, right? Because I mean, everything, right? Like translating DNA, transcribing DNA, right? The ribosomal biogenesis, actually running the ribosome, like all of these things are energy dependent. And the thing that's always going to stop those is low cellular energy, mm-hmm. right? So it's like at this point in time, it's like why would you not want your cells to be better? from a energetic perspective? Why would you not want them better at being metabolically flexible and being able to use more fat and bringing down, you know, cortisol and stuff like that easier when you're not doing stuff the other 23 hours of the day, conserving your glucose for workouts? Why would you not want to be able to have more glycogen go in? Like, cause I mean, wouldn't it suck that like, you just love Captain Tor? I could just go in, I can get all the mechanical tension and I can stimulate all the pathways, the MAP pathways, the hippo pathways, you know, all of that stuff. But it's like, yeah, but we just, we just, we don't have the, like it's, you're overstimulating for your capacity to run those systems because you, you suck at energy. And, you know, that question you asked earlier on like, why are people, why do people stop growing? Um, you know, I know right now there's like the, the, the oxygen based theories, um, but there's a ton of research on like the decay of the health of the endoplasmic reticulum, which is where the ribosomes are and do all of their shit. And so when that gets unhealthy, like it doesn't matter how many of them you have, right? Yeah. It's, it's, have- like, it's like having a bunch of government workers. You got five of them sitting around, one guy working, you know, that's not a good way to build a lot of muscle. The ER stress research is going to like, cause we, when was that five, 10 years ago? And everybody was worried about like, oh my God, mitochondrial health, like endoplasmic reticulum health is going to be the next thing uh, yeah. that, that, and, and the, the cellular stuff is super cool. I, I love, I love the mechanism talk because it's, it's like, Hey, we're trying to have, we're trying to have some rationale for why we're doing this. And the, and the rationale, you know, it doesn't not make sense. But it, it, but we don't. The thing that we've talked about too is like 
we argue about these these mechanisms and and how they measure. Like we talk about that stuff. And and if you're a coach, maybe you need to care about those things. Uh, but if you're if you're an athlete or if you're a general pop person, doesn't really matter. You should. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. There's there's enough. There's so in my this is my opinion, but there's enough practical benefit for all of this stuff to make that every all the mechanistic talk nonsensical because the practical benefit outweighs everything, and the cost of it is nothing. The cost of it is yep. literally the cost of it is weight on the bar, yeah. or or you being able to eat more carbs because you're doing more work, or you being you being more physically fit. Vomit a little bit, a little bit of vomit potentially. Yeah. Have you I, guys it's, done? It's fucking hard. <laughs> have you guys done like something similar to like these IRM strategies? The yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It, probably probably a little bit dumber than what you guys are doing. Uh, <laughs> like. When when we incorporate these with clients, the like the biggest visual transformation usually occurs with, from like a week of that, like and and it's the, I mean that that's usually the biggest buy-in. Is it's such mm -hmm. a visual, it's such a visual change, and it usually tends to be a huge change in the way people feel, both mentally and physically, because yeah. it's like, man, you are just ultra hydrated. You have tons of energy storage with like. All of this stuff is good, um, but that's that, that that's a huge buy-in. So if anybody's hesitant, it's like, man, one week, just do it for one of week. That yeah. you know, smash some carbs and you know, do that type of training. The only thing that really screws it up is people that just like, you know, they don't follow the instructions. Like, just okay, blow it's, it out the water. It's eight by eight. It's like, all right, I'll just gonna take eight sets to failure. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, like <laughs> it's like, well, okay, and then it's like, oh, I don't, it wasn't supposed to be sore, and like I can't brush my teeth, and I'm like. Well, what'd you do? It's like, oh, it's, you know, and I'm like, that's the opposite. Literally, if you took all of the instructions and flipped them upside down, that's what that's what you. <laughs> right? It's it's like, yeah, I mean, you just get you just get masochists who turn everything in. Like Ryan writes, like I'm doing a powerlifting program that Ryan wrote, and I'm supposed to be at three IRR. Just never done ah, no that. No way, so no way, dude, no way. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, so to summarize this the i think the the mechanistic stuff that that is really really cool is you could get more mitochondria you could get mitochondria you're going to get mitochondrial biogenesis you're going to get better at using fuel sources you could potentially get better super compensation to glycogen uh you might you might get some angiogenesis you might get better at you might up your proteins machinery's ability, your cellular machinery's ability to increase muscle protein synthesis anyways. Uh, and the downside is that you, that strength and power are task specific and rep range specific. So you might lose a little bit of that, but it'll come back really, really quickly. Um, and, and so those are all the, all the practical things of this. I think, I think Kasim's done a really good job of talking about the details and, the, and kind of the how he uses and his thought process of these of these different strategies uh do you have any other final final things that you want to that you want to say on the subject i mean i would say you, you just it's you don't have to worry about those things if you apply it the way we apply it and we never do these things for like more than three weeks and if you leave if you if you stopped training for two weeks and then you went back to the gym in two weeks you're going to recover all of your strength, right? So the the odds that you're going to that there's be any negative when you're only doing these things, 
very little, right? Now, when you look at the research, nobody's studied it like this. They'll study like, well, I did 12 weeks of this and 12 weeks parallel of that. And it's like, well, yeah, that's a totally different scenario, right? We're just kind of like dabbling this stuff. So I almost think- It's like refeed. It's like the refeed research. It's very similar to the refeed research, which is, which is tough, which seems to show a positive effect. So if you want to- Like it helps, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's hard to make an argument against is what I guess I'm trying to get. When you use it, in this fashion, even from the strength perspective, as long as you look at it as like, hey, if I measure where I ended with where I'm at two weeks out from this, I'm probably going to be ahead just as much or maybe even more than if I had just kept doing what I was doing. Yeah. I think I think the argument against it is that so I would if I was having this debate with someone and if you're having a debate with them already, you probably even lost because then they're 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 going to you know shell out into their belief structures. But if I would say. I would try to, I would talk to them and be like, all right, so if you think you're losing time based on the muscular tension model, so that's your, that's your big, that's your big no-no is that, oh, I'm going to be losing three weeks of my training career. I'd be like, oh, how much bigger have you gotten in the last two years? And, and they'd be like, uh, you know, that's usually crickets. Right. And so it's like, okay, what do you, from an advanced training perspective, even myself included, right? Like I, I don't. I would guess that I've gotten bigger in the last two years, but it's even hard to measure. Casim uh, still makes fun of me because I'm not that big, but, but I think that the, you don't have, if you're an advanced trainee, you have nothing to lose. You have nothing to lose except a little bit of your ego. And if you're willing to, if you're willing to, to try some new things, uh, you could potentially get some, some more gains.